Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Well, we've been starting in Habakkuk, and the first chapter we look at, Habakkuk is crying out to God to save his people to save Israel. They've been struggling. Israel's struggling with sin. They're struggling with idolatry and injustice. And in chapter one, we see Habakkuk airing his grievances, venting his frustrations to God. And so we said, don't, when you're struggling with things, don't just talk about God, bring it to God. He's a big God. He can handle when we're going through difficulties and we need his power in us in our lives. And then last week, we focused on the beginning of chapter 2. And we focus on just those first few verses when God is answering Habakkuk. He says to him, write down the vision. We talked about how God has a plan for every single person's life. You know that God's got a specific plan and a vision for your life. It always bothers me when nobody seems to get excited about that. I'm always thankful that God's got a plan for my life, no matter how many times I've messed up. No matter how many things I've done wrong, God still has a plan. And he also has an appointed time. There's there's an appointed time for the different things that take place in your life. And we ended last week with telling you to guard God's plan from your pride. Sometimes the, the greatest enemy of ourselves is me. Sometimes I make the biggest mistakes, and, and the Babylonians in the book of Habakkuk, is, they're, they're this wicked army, this evil nation that they're coming to take over Israel. And it's ironic because God uses a worse nation in the Babylonians to teach the Israelites a lesson. And Babylon is puffed up with pride. But God reminds Habakkuk that in order for the Israelites to survive, to survive this hardship, the righteous have to live by faith. The righteous must live by faith. The righteous choose to put their trust in God, unlike what the Babylonians were doing. And at this time, God continues to speak to Habakkuk for the rest of chapter 2. And that's where we're going to pick up today, where we left off last week. Again, we were talking about the Babylonians were puffed up with pride. And God continues to talk about the many issues that is plaguing the Babylonians. Talked about pride to end the week, but God continues to address problems. We're going to read from chapter 2, starting with verse 6. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. If not, we've got it on the screen for you. As always, if you like a sermon outline, you want to take notes, we have an outline available on the Church Center app on that homepage. You can scroll down to the bottom and find it. And it's also on the YouVersion Bible app. You search the Gathering Church and you can find our outline. All right, let's jump into it. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. Let's read these three verses. It says, God says, shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. We're going to start by breaking down 
this beginning passage here. And essentially, the beginning of verse 6 sets up the rest of chapter 2. With God saying in that first sentence, he says, they will taunt, meaning they will ridicule, they will slander him. The they that God is referring to is all the nations, all the people, all those that the Babylonians have come against as a warring nation and dominated. And the him that God is referring to is the Babylonians. God is saying all the nations of the world are going to come back against Babylon. And then he says, woe. And when the prophets use the word woe in their messages, it is typically meaning a judgment. It means there's a time of ruin and mourning that will be coming upon them. And throughout the rest of this chapter, there are a total of five woes that God speaks over the Babylonians. And and while this passage is obviously applying to the Babylonians, I believe it's also meant to be a warning. It's meant to be a warning to any nation or to any person that if we begin to have these five different types of attitudes or problems or areas of sin in our life, we need to stop and reflect because we are not headed towards the path of righteousness. We're headed away from God. And so I hope that as we go through these five different woes, it might be a wake-up call to remind ourselves, what, what am I doing here? What, what areas of sin are manifesting in my life and I'm not even aware of it? The title for today's message is called, Woe There. Woe There. A couple of you got the pun. If you didn't get it, nudge your neighbor and ask him later. Maybe they'll help you out. Woe There. We're looking at five things that hopefully stop us in our tracks when we see areas in our life that don't honor God. And that we could possibly fall into the same trap as the Babylonians. Let's look at that first woe. The second half of verse 6. Read it with me again. He says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. So there's five woes. So i got to go a little bit fast on these woes, okay? Are you ready to write them down? Number one, don't take what's not yours. Simply put, do not take what doesn't belong to you. And here God is focusing really on the concept of extortion, right? Gain that has been taken unfairly, been taken through manipulation, things that do not belong to you. And he says, God says in there, he says, loads himself up, remember him means the Babylonians, loads the Babylonians up with pledges. Another word for pledges is simply a loan. God is saying the Babylonians are taking out loans. They're extorting people. They're plundering nations and and taking, physically, taking what did not belong to them. And it's unfortunate because this is very much in our sinful nature too, right? To take what doesn't belong to us, to take what other people have. Think, Think about two toddlers sitting on the ground, dozens of toys around them. You put a toy in one of their hands and nothing in the other person, in the other child, will that child look around at all the other toys? No, they say, oh, I want that. I want that toy that they have. I want to take that for myself. No, no, they got that first. You can, there's a lot of other options here. Tons of other options here. But they don't care about that. We're always focused on what someone else has. And I wish we could say that we always mature past that stage as a toddler 
and no longer want what other people have, but that's not true. You can look at stories in the Bible, right? We can look at King David. He sees Bathsheba, and he wants her. I'm pretty sure he had plenty of good options within the realm that he was at, but he wanted her so much that he would kill her husband to get her for himself. You can look at the story of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, right? Wicked, wicked king and queen of Israel. They could have anything they wanted, and yet they wanted this specific vineyard near to their place, and they killed somebody in order to receive it. If we don't mature in our faith, it is very easy for us to continue to want to take what doesn't belong to us. And that's why God doesn't only say that we shouldn't take what doesn't belong to us. We should not want what other people have. We should not covet. You familiar with that word? It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? We should not want, we should not desire the possessions that other people have. Instead, we should be satisfied with what God has given us. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want gain in your life, it's not from taking from your neighbor, it's being content with what God has put in front of you. That was a good point, I thought. God says in verse 7, what does he say after that? He says, will not the debtors arise? And instead of you plundering other people, you taking from others, others are going to take from you. Why? It's because there's this principle in the Bible that what you sow, you will reap. What you sow in your life is what you're going to reap. It talks about that in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 6. Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But to the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's judgment for those who live trying to gain what the world has to offer. Gain taking from others, taking advantage of other people, taking what doesn't belong to us. We live according to the ways of this world. If we sow in the flesh, we will reap in the flesh. What we sow in the Spirit, we will reap in the Spirit. And God was saying that the Babylonians, they may look strong now, but the way in which they've done business, the way that they've dealt with other people, God is going to deal with them eventually. God would later take from the Babylonians and he would treat them as as they have treated other weak nations, eventually is how they will be treated. And so don't take what doesn't belong. Do not extort God says, don't treat others wrongfully. And the second woe goes along with the first one. Read with me from verse 9. Here's the second woe. God says, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, And the beam from the woodwork respond. The second woe is to don't trust in possessions for protection. You can't afford to trust the possessions in your life. And when God is saying evil gain, he is not against you owning possessions. He's not against you having things. He says it's wrong to put your trust in possessions to protect you and to get possessions from other people. 
God's saying that if you think what you own will keep you safe, if you think that you can build yourself a house that's up high and away from destruction, you're wrong because first you've built from what other people had and you've built it dishonestly. And that's why it says you have devised shame for yourself. You've cut other people off. Verse 11, it says the stone will cry out from the wall and the beams from the woodwork. What he's talking about, he says, God knows how you built yourself up. He knows that you plundered from other nations and took their stone, took their timber, took their possessions and resources and used it to build something to glorify yourself. God knows how we choose to build things. And Babylon was built by what it took from others, what it stole from other nations. Do not take possessions from others and do not build protection for yourself from your possessions. This past week I was watching a, a movie on the story of the Blackberry phone. Did anyone have a Blackberry growing up? I'm curious. A few of you did. I know my best friend, if Phil was here, he would tell you all about how much he loved his Blackberry phone growing up. One of the only teenagers that had a Blackberry phone, I think. Uh, but, but the Blackberry phone was predominantly used by business people, right? It, it was invented in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, and it was used so it was one of the first phones that would allow you to obviously call and text, but also email and, and internet so that you could be anywhere and, and working from your phone. There was the Blackberry Bold, the Blackberry Curve, right? All those things. And, and in the story, there's this co CEO that, that there are glitches with the phone because they began to grow so fast. So many phones were being bought, were being sold. Sales was so high, but their towers, their systems, was not, they were not able to keep up with the product selling. And so this co-CEO goes out to hire some extremely talented engineers to fix the problem. And he is so desperate that he hires two employees, two new employees. They didn't actually even care to leave. According to the, the, the movie, I tried to do some research to see how accurate this is, but I'm just going based on the movie. Um, they didn't even want to leave their company. One was with Google. They were perfectly fine until the co-CEO said, what if I gave you $10 million? He gave two people $10 million to switch companies and to help them. But this was $10 million or $20 million that the company did not have. And what he did was he backdated shares he offered it to people without actually having the money to do it. He was, he was manipulating stock options. And finally, the law caught up to this co-CEO. And he was forced to step down. He, the, the shares of BlackBerry were heavily slashed because this co-CEO thought he could, through corruption, build something and it would be too big to be taken down. But God sees how we treat people. God sees how we operate and how we work. And again, I don't know from the story but of, of real life. I'm assuming it's in line, but the co-CEO was not painted in a great light in this movie. The way that he treated people, the way that he yelled and cussed people out if they didn't do anything that he wanted them to do, it matters how you treat people. That is one of the big themes of, of the Babylonians in chapter 2, is they did not treat people with respect and honor. And God sees the life that we choose to lead. He sees, even if others don't, 
And you might live a good life for a time, building up your possessions and building from other people. That's what the Babylonians did, but eventually it will fall. It will fall. Do not build possessions from other people. Do not trust in your possessions to protect you in the world. Then we come to the third woe. God says in the third woe, look at verse 12 with me. He says, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? The third woe, don't take what doesn't belong to you, don't take possessions to build yourself up, and don't choose violence. Has anyone heard the phrase, he chose violence this morning, right? You see a football player out there and he's just tackling everybody. It's like, man, Miles Garrett woke up and chose violence, right? You're on social media and somebody's just going off for no reason at all about something random. It's like, what is this person's deal? They woke up and chose violence. Can I encourage you? Don't choose violence. It's not good for you. It's not good for the people that you interact with. We're not supposed to manipulate and extort and use our own strength and violence for our own good. You can kind of notice there's, there's this building up as God is saying, don't extort from people. Don't take what doesn't belong to you and, and use it for your possessions. Oh, and also don't use violence. There's this layering that's happening. Don't use brute force to crush other people. In fact, those with great strength are not meant to crush the weak. They're meant to defend the weak. You have a strength for a reason. It's to defend those who need it. We're meant to appreciate and respect life. And so not only is God speaking of violence here, he's not just speaking of killing. He's talking about oppression. He talks here about forcing people into slavery It says in verse 13, God does not operate in a way of forcing people to labor and weary themselves out for nothing. Violence in our culture, it can take many different shapes and forms. Think about things like emotional manipulation that lead us to narcissistic behaviors such as rage and anger, passive aggression, shaming somebody. Self-pity, silent treatment, all these different tactics are used to try to manipulate someone else and use their power to put them under your control. Do not use violence, do not use these different tactics to manipulate and dominate other people, to build yourself up. But what, what comes after this, I want to encourage you. I know this has been really weighty, right? This has been heavy stuff, all these woes. This is what God says next in verse 14. It breaks up the woes. Verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God is saying that I am not for violence, but instead, instead of the violence of man, Let the knowledge of my glory fill the earth. Let it not be filled with the crimes of men that won't amount to anything, but God is at work on the earth, increasing the knowledge of his glory. And friends, I want to encourage you to take this word to heart because yes, it was meant for those days and for that age, but God is also doing a work in your lives. 
in your family, in your city, in your country, that where there is great evil at work, God is still on the move, and there is great corruption, there may be great violence, but it will not amount to anything compared to the value of what God is doing in our world, increasing the knowledge of his glory. And when it says glory here, It's talking about the manifest presence of God. It's talking about in the Old Testament when the cloud would cover over the tabernacle and the presence of God was there. And there's a difference between the manifest presence of God and the omnipresence of God. You know, sometimes our worship team, they'll sing things like, God, we invite you here. Come and have your way. We're like, God's already here, right? We didn't need to invite him. What we're saying is there's a difference. Yes, we know his omnipresence is here. He's always, he's everywhere at the same time. But we're asking for his manifest presence. We're asking to sense physically or in our heart what God is doing in this room. I hope that there have been times when we worship or we get into the word of God together that you sense something, right? You're like, why do I have goosebumps? I'm not cold. Why is the hair sticking up? You know, why are all these things happening? It's because I'm, my body is responding to the physical manifest presence of God's glory. In those moments, that's when healing can take place. The Holy Spirit falls and, and we are filled up. I hope that those are things that you seek from God, that his glory, the knowledge of his glory would take place here. And it's not just the glory. He says that word knowledge. When he talks about knowledge, it's not just a head knowledge. It's a relational knowledge. It means I know God more. I know his characteristics. I know the attributes of God. I know that he is faithful and he is loving and he is merciful. That is the type of glory. The knowledge of that glory would be released on the earth. God says it will happen. He says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. And after that reminder, he continues on with the last two woes. Read the next two verses with me in verse 15. The next one he says is, Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame Instead of glory, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. It's interesting here that there's kind of a twist from the first three woes. I believe God was being intentional to address this because it is part of corruption and manipulation The fourth woe is don't force others to do wrong. Notice it says the woe is to those who make others drink. Now, drinking, talking about alcohol can be a bit of a touchy subject in church, right? No, no, it's not? Okay, great. Then I could just go right at it. Um, Because we we don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says you can't have a drink, right? doesn't say that you can't take a drink of wine, you can't have a drink, but it says a whole lot of things about being drunk. And to my knowledge, the only way you can get drunk is by drinking. There's a correlation there. 
And there's a reason why in the Bible over and over again, Ephesians 5 says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why 1 Corinthians 6 lists out a drunkard among those that are thieves and the greedy who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Being drunk is clearly a sin. Amen. I'll just start saying it myself. I know we could do a sermon on the topic of alcohol, right? We could go in, in far depth. And I, I, but do I really need to explain why it's wrong to be drunk? Do, do, do I need to explain how alcohol ruins relationships and families and jobs and finances and lives, right? Do, do I need to go over statistics of drunk driving and tell you that every 45 minutes there, there is a, someone killed due to a drunk driving accident, right? I, please tell me that we're beyond our understanding here right? Okay, thank you, thank you. Now, that doesn't mean that you can never drink. I don't drink. I would not advise you to drink. If for no other reason, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be accountable for all the things I said to you, which is absolutely terrifying. And I'd rather be way too cautious on the subject with you than be way too liberal on the subject with you. And so, thank you, thank you. (laughs) And here specifically, going back to the context of Habakkuk, Babylon is not only trying to manipulate people to drink, but they're trying to lead them into shame. There's the shame that we see when people drink and the hangovers and the issues that can come from it. In Babylon, there was sexual immorality. There was all kinds of poor decisions because of drinking, because of getting drunk. And there's a judgment for people who force others into these bad decisions that they don't want to make. And the Bible tells us very seriously, do not tempt other people with things that they can't handle. Jesus had a very serious uh, words for those who would make other people stumble. He said it'd be better for them, right, to, to, tie, to have something tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. It'd be better to have that than to make a child stumble. Complete shame will come upon those who pressure other people to do what is wrong. We can be very manipulative sometimes. We can be very, unfortunately, intelligent in some shrewd manner and say, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't sin. You force someone else to do what's wrong. That's actually worse. There is judgment for people who force into wrong decisions, manipulating one another to do what is wrong. And this brings us to our last woe. Read with me in verse 18 and 19. It says, What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. The last woe is don't worship what you have built. Don't worship what the world has built. The last woe is against the sin of idolatry. Worshiping something that human beings have made. And it's interesting to me. I don't know if this is intentional by God or not. But before it goes into the last woe here, you notice God mentions idolatry before he brings the woe. 
And I wonder if that's because, yes, the Babylonians were absolutely struggling with idolatry, but they're not the only ones. How many times have I said over this sermon series, the Israelites were struggling with the sin of injustice and idolatry? I think God was tapping the Babylonians and saying, they're, they're in trouble. But I think he was also telling Habakkuk and the Israelites, hey, this is something you've been struggling with too. Because yes, they were worshiping the Lord their God, but he was not the Lord alone. He was not the only God that they were worshiping. And idolatry can be a challenging sin for us to talk about. It's kind of a unique situation because in those days, a lot of time, idolatry was actually carving an image, making, molding an image, and setting it up on a stand in your house and worshiping it. And we don't really do that a whole lot today. In fact, if you do, please come talk to me and Scott afterwards. We'll pray for you. We'll talk through that type of thing. But there are many things that we list as greater priorities in our life instead of God. That if I can just achieve that priority, I will be fulfilled. And that is a spot that only God is meant to, to place. That if I can just focus on more of God and have a hunger for God and pursue him, I know he will satisfy me. But instead, we, place, we, we replace that spot with the things of this world. If I can just get that promotion. If I could just finally get to that title, I'm going to feel set. I'm going to feel like I have it made. Everything will work out fine if I can just get to that title. If I can just get into that relationship with that person, they're going to make me feel safe and secure. If I can begin dating them and everything will turn out right, right? If I can just get into that friend group and connect with those people, I'm going to feel set up. I'm going to feel like I have the status that I want. If I can just get that house, if I can just get that living room set from Ikea, right? Any, whatever it is that you're looking for and hoping that that gives you the satisfaction that you want, that is when idolatry is taking place in our hearts. When we set something up above God, do not worship what has been built by this world, but rather what God, God has built. Because when you worship what humans made, you can only receive what humans can accomplish. But when you worship what the Lord your God can make, and the worshiping the creator of the earth, you can accomplish anything that he sets out to do. Because human beings, are, are, we are finite. Whatever we make and build, they will not last, but whatever God builds will last for eternity. Come on, are you getting this? When you worship what humans have made, you can only receive the wisdom that humans can offer. But when you worship the Lord your God, you can receive the wisdom that God offers. When you worship what humans have made, you're worshiping something conformed in human image and it's too small to save you. But when you worship the Lord your God, you have the almighty God to fight for you. When you worship the, what humans have made, you can cry out and you can ask for them to save you but it will respond with silence. But when you worship the Lord your God, he will speak and he will save you. It reminds me of what happened. It reminds me of what happened when Elijah was up on Mount Carmel. And there was the, the comparison between what God would do consuming the sacrifice with fire and what the prophets of Baal wanted to do. The prophets of Baal, they shouted, they screamed, they cut themselves in order to get their God's attention. 
Elijah simply went up and prayed, and God responded with fire that consumed every single thing on that altar. Join with me looking at that last verse of chapter 2, where it says, it starts with saying, but the Lord. Somebody say, but the Lord. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Brent, would you come up as we close today? You see, a God that's created by man is lifeless and has to stand silent before the true and living God. When an idol is your God, you have to be allowed to try to awaken it like the prophets of Baal did. But when the Lord is your God and you pray to him, he will answer and he will save you. And I want you to know that this message is a warning for us to keep ourselves from that judgment that was coming on the Babylonians. But I also want to take one second to let you know that if you are like the Israelites and you're struggling in your life with people that are trying to take from you and extort from you and bully you and be violent to you, you know you have the Lord God that is on your side. You know that he is fighting for you. He is advocating for you. Maybe with that last point of idolatry, maybe you feel like you're in the, you're in the camp of the Israelites. That you're following God, you're serving God, but there's something that's holding you back. Or maybe if you'd be honest, you say, Matt, I've been living my life like the Babylonians. I've been living my life and I know there's conviction. I know God's been speaking to me, but I've been struggling. I've been struggling to return to him. And Habakkuk cries out to God in chapter one and God responds to him in chapter two saying, I've not forgotten about you. I'm here for you. And it would be decades later, but the timing would come when Persia would come and take over Babylon and Babylon will fall. I want you to know that Babylon will fall in your life. The things that you're going through, the issues that you're going through, it's not forever, it's temporary. God has not forgotten about you and he has not abandoned you. Would you stand to your feet as we close? We've talked about these five different woes. We've talked about Israel and Israel returns to being faithful to God in the difficulty. And there are stories of of nations such as Nineveh going and preaching to the Ninevites for them to turn from their wicked ways and God would save them. And here the Babylonians had judgment coming upon them as they trusted in themselves rather than trusting in God. And I want to encourage you that even if if you've been faithless in your life, there's been areas in your life that you've been faithless to God, He remains faithful. The last verse I want to show you is from 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is what it says. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is a list of if-then statements, right? That if we do this, this is what's going to happen, right? If we endure, we will then reign with God. 
if we deny God, if we do the wrong thing, God will deny us. But that last one, it changes. He says, no, but even if you are faithless, God is not a faithless God. He is a faithful God because he cannot deny himself. That is who he is. It's not just what he does. It's who God is. He is faithful through everything. Amen. And so today, would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for two different groups of people. And the first one is those that you say, Matt, I'll be honest, I've been living like the Babylonians. I've been going at it my own way. I've been puffing myself up with pride. I've been focusing on what I can get and what I can take. And I've ignored all the warning signs that God has been sending my way. But today is your day. Today is the day to return to the Father because His arms are open wide to you. And if you're here, you've never accepted Jesus into your heart or you did it a long time ago and then you've gone your own way since then, I want to pray with you in mind. If that's you and you say, I've, been not, I've not been living like a child of God. I've been living according to the ways and the rules of this world. And I want to make it right today. I want to be following God today. If that is you, no one looking around, if that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, I want to dedicate my life to Jesus. Yep, I see that hand. Anyone else? Yep, I see that hand. Anyone else? The best decision you could make in your life, I promise you. Church, if I could have everybody together pray this prayer and repeat it after me, would you say, dear God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I thank you that when I've been faithless, you have remained faithful. God, forgive me of my sins. I plead the blood of Jesus over my life. I'm a new creation in you. I turn away from my sin and turn towards you. I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Continue to close your eyes because I want to pray for one more group of people. If you'd say, Matt, I have a relationship with God. I'm like the Israelites where I've been worshiping God, but there have been areas in my life that I've still been struggling to be faithful. There's maybe one of those woes. I'm not going to point out which one. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for each woe. But there's something in my life that is causing a barrier between me and my God. And I want that to be gone and to dissolve today in Jesus' name. If that's you and you want to go from faithless to faithful, would you slip up your hand? I already see hands going up. Yep, I see hands all over this room. Yep, yep, absolutely. God, I pray that you would help us to remain faithful to you even when things are difficult. Even when we get tempted, God, help us to resist the temptation and choose to follow you instead. Forgive us of the times where we've chosen to be selfish, where we've chosen to take from others, to entice others to do what's wrong. Whatever it is, God, forgive us and turn us away from those things. Today is a statement day that I'm choosing to live for God and not of myself. I don't have the mind of this world anymore. I have the mind of Christ in me. God, I thank you for this privilege as your children that anytime we come back to you, your arms are open wide to us and you accept us as your children. God, I thank you for today. And I pray a blessing over every single person here in this room, hearing the word of God. And in Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.